0: All right, well welcome H2O, welcome church. Um, I hope and I pray that you are uh, cozied up under a blanket, drinking a uh, fresh cup of locally roasted coffee, maybe, maybe uh, snacking on a homemade cinnamon roll right now, or if it's a little bit more like uh, my house right now, maybe you have four children draped all over you, pulling at your hair and poking out your eyeballs. Um, Sorry if that's you, but we do hope and pray that you're comfortable and that you're engaged and ready to hear from the Lord today. Um, you know, one of the things that I keep thinking about as a pastor in this weird season of life that we're in right now is how privileged I feel to be able to speak truth and to speak the Word of God. I've just been overwhelmed with this sense of humility that as we go through this, this weird, strange national pandemic, this, this cultural moment that that I get to bring hope. And it's ultimately, obviously, not from me, but it's from the Lord, and I'm just grateful for that, and I'm humbled that I get to be standing here speaking to you, even in this, you know, empty church building. Um, I'm, I'm humbled by the opportunity. We're in our Easter series that we've called The Table, and we're just excited. It is, though the world has changed, it is still Easter week, it's Holy Week, and we are excited about that. And I, I know that you know we've probably probably been all over the map with our emotions and our thoughts lately. Um, some of us we maybe feel like COVID-19 just keeps taking and taking and taking from us, and we're just frustrated. And you know some of us are stuck in our sorrow and our grief because real things have been taken from us, and we may never get them back, and we're heartbroken. Some of us are wrecked with anxiety. Because all the things that used to be solid in our life are now, like, all of a sudden not solid. They're shaky. And so we're scared. We're anxious. And some of us, we feel more alone now than we ever have before. And this is what we do when these seasons come, right? We wonder, God, where are you? We know that he's never far off. We know that in our minds. We know that he numbers the hairs on our heads. We know that he knows our every thought before we think it. He knows our every prayer before we pray it. But I wonder if right now you're finding it difficult to connect with him. Like this massive disruption to your life has brought this massive disruption in your relationship with God. Life is different. There's no doubt about it, right? We have new realities, new fears, new anxieties, new struggles. Tiffany and I, my wife Tiffany and I, we, we feel that struggle pretty much every day. So we have four kids. Um, that kind of by itself makes life a certain amount of uh, chaos. And then on top of that, we're trying to become homeschool teachers overnight. And so we have two kids in school and two kids that aren't in school. The two that are not in school make it their mission every day to make it impossible for us to homeschool the other two. And that is just what they do. And it's, it's just madness. We're bouncing between, you know, video calls and art projects and a phone call and math homework. And then somehow, you know, in the midst of all of this, our two-year-old Nora decided that she was going to start crawling out of her crib at night. And so we took the front off of the crib. She's now doing, like, the, the big girl bed right now, which means basically every nap and every bedtime is this, you know, nightmare situation. You know, we put a gate up by her door and she just, you know, gets out of her bed right away and then looks over the gate and is just crying. And, and so our life is nuts. And we get to the end of every day and we honestly wonder, and this is like the substance of our prayers, God, can we do this again tomorrow? Because we don't know. We need you so badly. Life is different. And yet the invitation of our God, is the same. It's the same invitation that he's been giving his people since we sinned and we were separated from him in the garden way back in the day. It's the same thing he's always said. Come to me. Will you come? Will you seek after me that you may find me? It's such a simple invitation, right? God says to us, will you come? And I wonder, is, is, is there maybe this Massive grace in the midst of all this upheaval, this grace that maybe, just maybe we can hear his voice more clearly. Even though everything around us is is new and it's different and there's different stresses, maybe he's getting our attention. The the constant frenzy of like our lives, the constant noise of of activity, and I gotta go here and I gotta do this, I gotta take this kid here, I have to do this thing, that's now all sort of just gone away. And our lives have gotten quieter. And more than that, the myth that we are in control of our own lives, that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, it's just evaporated. It's not there. And so maybe in light of that we can hear him calling us to to come and sit with him. To, yes, receive what we need from him, and there's a lot that we need from him. We need strength, we need patience, we need endurance, we need comfort, we need hope. But even more than that, I wonder if he's calling us to just come and to be with him, to experience how good he is. And so what I want to do today on this Palm Sunday is really simple. I just want us to sit and marvel at Jesus and be with him. We know things about him, we can talk about him, right? But I want us to see him today and hear him invite us. Come, be with me, sit with me. Not because that will make everything instantly get better, right? We're still going to have the stresses and the trials and the difficulties of this season. But we'll have a vision for how to live through them. So what we do on Palm Sunday, just to give you a little bit of a background, is we look at Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem near the end of his ministry. This is a, this is a massive moment in the life of Jesus in the story of the Gospels. It's so important that all four Gospel authors include it in their accounts. And so we're actually going to be looking at Luke today to guide us. And his, his entry into Jerusalem is what launches the, the, the passion narrative, it's, what, it's because he went to Jerusalem that we have Good Friday and Holy Saturday and then ultimately Easter Sunday. And I believe, become so convinced of this leading up to today, that there are things in this story that speak a special, powerful word to us in quarantine. You see, Jesus going into Jerusalem is called by scholars his triumphal entry. He's declaring his kingship over not only Israel, but over the entire world. And how he enters reveals who he is. And who he is is what we need most right now. Let me say that again. How he enters reveals who he is, and who he is is what we need most right now. So before we go to Luke, let's lay a little bit more of a foundation. Jerusalem is not any ordinary place. It is the place for the people of God. It's where the temple is. It's where God reveals himself to his people. It's where the prophets said the Messiah would come and set up his kingdom. But at this time, Jerusalem is under Roman authority. And Rome was very skilled at getting people to be under its authority. No one dared question Rome or its emperor, who was seen to be a god. There was no due process, no freedom of of speech, no individual rights. The the Jewish people, God's people, Jesus' people, were tolerated so long as they were quiet, submissive subjects to Rome. So the city, God's city, was not their own. Their lives were not their own. It all belonged to Rome. And so when Jesus makes his turn towards Jerusalem, which is what's happening in this story. He's making this distinct turn to go into Jerusalem. His followers would have had one thought. It's time. It's about to go down. Jesus is gonna set up his kingdom. Rome is gonna be put in its place. The Davidic kingdom is gonna start again right now. And they're thinking all that power that Jesus possessed, right? He controlled the wind. He he made the blind see. All that power is going to just be laid out before Rome, and we are going to be free again. Finally, the world will know that our God is the God, and we will be free. Can you imagine the excitement and the anticipation? Jesus is going to crush all of their enemies. So with that backdrop, let's go to Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 28. And I want to read to you from 28 to 35. We'll pause along the way. And so Luke 19, 28 says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, "Why are you untying the colt?" They replied, "The Lord needs it." They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. What a what a strange request, right? So he's, he's making his turn to Jerusalem. Their, their minds are probably thinking, okay, we know what's about to go down. We know that something really big is about to happen. And Jesus says, hey, can you go get me a donkey? Can you go get me a, a little colt? Um, it sounds really odd. What's stranger even than that to me is that these disciples just blindly obey. right? These guys that are known for questioning Jesus and getting it wrong, they just do it. I, I, you know I would think that they would say something like, Okay, Jesus, real quick, just wanted to remind you, you're about to go set up your eternal, everlasting kingdom in God's city in Jerusalem, and you want us to get you a donkey? You sure about that? But they don't say anything. They just do it. You see, they would have known exactly what was happening. They would have known what the prophet Zechariah said about the Messiah long before. Look at what it says in Zechariah 9, verses 9. I'm going to read the second half of verse 10. The prophet Zechariah says, Rejoice! Greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Second half of verse 10. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and the river to the ends of the earth. Lowly. And riding on a donkey, yet his rule will reach to the ends of the earth. Do you feel the tension? you feel a paradox in that statement? On a donkey, his rule will extend to the ends of the earth. This is not a spontaneous change of plans. Jesus is not calling an audible here. This is the way God intended it for a purpose because it speaks to who God is. Let's keep reading. Verse 36. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The other gospel authors tell us that they're actually laying down the palm branches, hence the the title for today, Palm Sunday. The people are quoting, they're chanting, singing Psalm 118, blessed is the king. They are realizing that all the hopes of Israel, all the prophecy, it's now being enacted, it's happening, it's going down right now. And there's this rare moment here. Don't miss this. This is a a rare moment where the people are worshiping Jesus. Normally when we read the Gospels, they're just asking him for things, they're bugging him, they're questioning him, or he's teaching, or he's talking to his disciples. This is a rare moment where people are worshiping him. It's because he know, they know what he's doing. They're singing and shouting for a king on a donkey. But not everyone approved of this, right? Let's keep reading. Look what happens now, verses 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, teacher. Rebuke your disciples, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so the religious leaders are appalled. They're connecting the dots too, right? And they're like, Jesus, you got to make this stop. You need to stop this right now. These people think that you're going into Jerusalem to, to declare that you're the Messiah and to set up your kingdom. You have to stop them. See, their idea of the Messiah is that he would come with sweeping power that he would come with a strong voice and a strong arm that all the power of God would be harnessed in this individual. He would come on a war horse with an entourage, with weaponry, with armory. They believed that the power of God would just ooze out of this guy. And they're looking at Jesus sitting on a donkey. You notice what Jesus said in response. If they don't do it, The stones will cry out. These mountains around us will cry out. You see, there is power in Jesus. There is authority. There's this immeasurable power and authority in Jesus, but it's not the kind that they imagined. The stones will cry out for the God who rides into town on a donkey. The paradox is just staggering. It's it's just staggering, but more than that, it's beautiful, There is a divine purpose in the way Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It was meant to speak something about his very nature. And here it is, big idea, our God is humble. He comes to us. He comes in a way that makes it possible for us to know him. And to have a relationship with him. He is not far off. He is not distant. He is not unconcerned with our lives. He steps right into the brokenness, right into the mess. He humbles himself to be with us when we're tired and we're in despair and we feel like all is lost. He meets us in those places. Why? Because he's humble. He stoops low to be with us. This is our God. And I know that he may seem far off to you right now. Maybe it's because of this pandemic that's happening in our world or or maybe it's just because you think the way that you've lived somehow makes you, you know, you don't deserve that. That could not possibly be true. There's no way that God would approach me in that way. You think your life is too ugly and your sins or your secrets are too heinous. But listen to this, this is the truth. He approaches us You and me, just like he approached the city of Jerusalem with humility, meekness, gentleness. I think of the ways that Jesus did this all the time, all throughout his ministry. The woman caught in adultery, the leper who had never been touched for decades, the blind, the lame, even the rich and the poor. Jesus is tender. He's humble. He goes to people. He looks them in the eyes. He touches them. He speaks life back into them. He has always been humble. Will we see him and and experience him in that way? Maybe maybe the grace in this weird season that we're in is that we will experience an intimacy with God that's been missing and maybe missing for a long time. That our, our humble king would come to us in these weird times that we're living through. And our experience of God is, far off and distant and not connected at all to my life will melt away and we'll know him. We'll know him deeply. That's my prayer. That's what I've been praying for this church. That's what I've been praying for my life and for my family, that this would be a season where we have deep, deep intimacy with our humble God. Let's go to the next part of the story. Verse 41, it says, and as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And I'll stop there. There's a few more verses where Jesus use, uses kind of veiled language. He uses mysterious language to basically prophesy that the temple would be sacked, that, 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 that it would be ruined, and that happened in 70 A.D. But I want to just not, not so much focus on what he said, but how he said it and what he was doing as he said it. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Notice the fact that he's standing. He's on the Mount of Olives. He can can see Jerusalem. He's up high. He's looking down. He can see the the houses. He can see the buildings. He can see the roadways leading in. He can see the temple. And he's up there and he's, he's looking at it and he's moved to tears. He's weeping. He's crying. And here's the second thing I want us to get. Don't miss this. Our God weeps. He weeps over the lostness, the brokenness, the evil that dominates the lives of the people in that city. And like he did when he looked at the dead body of his friend Lazarus, he wept. The God who numbers the stars in the heavens, the God who formed everything out of nothing with just his voice, the one who has no beginning and no ending, wept. He weeps. And I think of all the things that, uh, about God, that we're clinging to in this season, right? That He's sovereign, that He is somehow still in control of all of this, that He is Lord even of, of life and death, and that we have hope no matter what happens. Of all the things that we're clinging to about who God is in this season, I think this might actually be the most important thing, the thing that we need most. There's nothing quite as powerful as this. In the face of tragedy and discomfort and fear and all the losses that we're experiencing, our God weeps too. And I think one of the things that he's wanting to do in this season of quarantine, what he's, what he's always wanting to do in this season of Lent is he's inviting us to, to come and be with him so that he can teach us how to lament, how to weep with him, to unite our hearts with his in this righteous, raw sorrow. We groan with God and with all of creation for the brokenness of this life and we see it so clearly in our world right now. And as hard as it is to do this, and this is hard, there is a deep intimacy with God awaiting us if we do it. And so I think he's inviting us to just come, be with him, and weep with him. And I don't know exactly how it works, but when I've done this in my own life, there is hope, there is vision, More than that, God is there. And he's what I need more than anything else. Okay, last part, and I promise this is the last and it's short, verses 45 and 46. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now there is like a whole sermon or maybe five in those verses right there. I don't have time to go through all of that, but let me give you the real fast version. Jesus is angry at the way the religious leaders are oppressing the poor. Okay, There are certain people that are really being affected by what's happening here. It's impossible or very difficult to do worship. So to worship, you need to make sacrifice. In order to make sacrifice, you need animals. In order to get an animal, you need money. And so all these taxes and fees and the cost of the animals were being driven up and laid upon the people of God, making it impossible for people who want to just come and worship in this time. And Jesus is not happy. When you go to John's account, it's really crazy because Jesus is actually making this whip. He's taking some cord and he's making a whip. And I just imagine like that that probably took a little bit of time. So I'm just imagining Jesus just like sitting down making this whip, just staring at these people. And he goes around and he starts, you know, using it to disperse these people. Here's the third thing that I want us to see in this story. Our God does battle. There's this crazy shift, right? He, he's, he's humble. He's riding in on a donkey. He's weeping over the city. But now it's different. We're getting more of a picture, a full picture of, of what this king is like. He does battle. Yes, he's humble. Yes, he weeps. But he acts. And he acts against evil and oppression. And ultimately, he will give his life for that. But that's, that's for next week, next Sunday. And while what he's doing right here is, is very specific to this situation, I want to be clear on that. What's happening here is specific to what's happening there. We also know that it's true that God fights for us right now. We know that there are things in our lives right now that are oppressing us, that are enslaving us. They tend to be the things that we think will give us life, the idols that we run to, the things that we run to for comfort that can't do it. They enslave us. They're evil. And I wonder if in this lockdown season, as things are getting difficult, if we go to those very things that oppress us that enslave us. And again, maybe the grace of this season is that you're gonna let Jesus do battle against those things. You're gonna let Jesus take a whip to those things. And that as we draw close to him and we weep with him and we align our hearts with his, that in his grace, he will reveal our idols that are sabotaging our relationship with him. And so as I close, I wanna remind you that while everything is changing around us, God is still inviting us to come to sit with him and to be with him like he always has. The God who rode a donkey, the God who wept, the God who fought for those who were oppressed and those in need, he is our God. He is our king. Wildly unlike any other and yet the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess someday. And so this is our prayer As I close, may you connect deeply with our humble God. May you weep with him for the brokenness of this world. And may you see him do battle against all that oppresses you. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for the the picture of your character that we get in this story, We thank you, Jesus, that you are our king. You're the king of the universe and that you are humble, that we can know you and we can walk with you. And we tell you today that we are so desperate for you. We need hope, we need vision, we need strength. There are so many things that we need. God, would we hear you as you are calling us to come and be with you? I do pray, God, that this would be a season that we experience deep, deep fellowship and communion with you. God, teach us to weep with you. God, do battle against the things in our lives that you need to do battle against. Lord, would you do something special? God, ready our hearts for this week ahead. Would this be a time that we are with you, that we hear from you, we experience you? In Jesus' name, amen.